Most people are aware of their own financial balance sheet. As soon as we buy our first car or house, we become aware of it. If you're of a certain personality type, you may track it quite a bit. But I'd submit to you that we're also unconsciously aware of another balance sheet. And this one is sometimes tricky to measure and even harder to manage. Sometimes we often find it hard to put into words, but it's real nonetheless. I call this our intangible balance sheet. What I mean by this are those life principles, experiences, memories, and stories that given any amount of money, we wouldn't trade. They're the memories that bring tears of joy to our faces because we simply can't imagine life without them. We feel fortunate to have had them. It could be our first jobs, proposals, wedding days, births, struggles, anxieties or fears, and maybe even some hindsight. It's all those things that melt into a memory, that bring a distant stare to our face and maybe even a smile. We feel lucky to have had them because they're what has made us, us. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about the intangible balance sheet. It's those moments in life that may be financially irrational, but which are indispensable parts of who we are. So these episodes are focused on the stories that bring us joy, happiness, fulfillment, and ultimately may hold necessary keys that will direct the future for our family, friends, and maybe even neighbors. So listen in with us as we discover some of those stories that are meaningful to our guests, and maybe you'll even uncover hidden value on your own intangible balance sheet. Hello, welcome in to the Wisdom of Wealth podcast. I'm Josh Clues, the Senior Wealth Planner for Carso Wealth here in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, today is another of our Intangible Balance Sheet episodes. Um, Brandon Hall has decided to join me today, and I am delighted to hear more about his Intangible Balance Sheet and uh, learn more about his story. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thank you as well again. Um, so Brandon, if, if there's anybody that uh, is new to the podcast, um, the weekend episodes focus on what we call the intangible balance sheet. And by that, we mean that there are certain things that we live our lives by, our first principles that are worth more to us than any amount of money. Um, and typically, those first principles and those uh, values, if you will, come to life in story format. Um, and sometimes those stories even, you know, predate us, right. As a family, like they're passed down like heirlooms, um, the stories as it were, uh, you know, from our grandparents or even our parents. But before we dive into all of that, could you just give our audience a, a better idea of, uh, brief background of who you are and where you're from and, and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So I currently live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I'm from Hickory, North Carolina, which is a really small town in North Carolina. It used to be the furniture capital of the world before the Chinese figured out how to do it all more efficiently. And then uh, all of the manufacturing moved over to China. So it became a very small town. Um, I, I went to East Carolina University, graduated in 2013, and then moved up to Washington, D.C., to do consulting with the federal government. I was working for PricewaterhouseCoopers at the time. Uh, and then I did I did that for about a year and a half. And then I switched over to Ernst & Young for about a year and a half, did more consulting with the federal government, which is a really fancy way of saying basically internal audit. I was going to uh, say, if and, you're Catholic, you'll spend less time in purgatory for that. You know? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, exactly. bad joke, bad joke. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it was not an exciting job. Um <laughs> So I started looking for a way out and 
uh, and I found real estate as a potential way to uh, generate cash and and to replace my income. And so that was the original goal was just to work my uh, big four accounting job for as long as possible, stash cash and buy rental real estate. So I picked up a three unit property right when I'd switched over to Ernst and Young. Uh, I saved like a madman while I was at PwC. And uh, the first rental property is a three unit property. I bought it for like $90,000 and it cash flowed about uh, $700 a month. So it was really sweet from a cash on cash return um, perspective. It was amazing. But I started crunching the numbers and I was like, man, this is going to take me 10 years to replace my day job income and I don't want to wait that long. So I started looking for a different way out, kind of fell into the entrepreneurship um, circles and in into various circles there and realized that I could be a, a I could run a tax practice and help real estate investors get answers to their tax and accounting questions. So I launched that on the side while I was still at Ernst & Young and uh, and then eventually left Ernst & Young and went into the firm full time. And that was back in 2016. So I was like 24, 25 years old launching a CPA firm, which in retrospect, um, you know, I don't know that I would do it again. Um, Andrew, you muted yourself. Brandon, sorry. There we go. Sorry. Where did I mute myself? No, no, no worries. Do, do you know where in that dialogue um, I mean? Start, start back from launch the CPA firm. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I launched the CPA firm. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, kind of risky given the fact that I was a young guy and, uh, you know, mo- most CPAs will have, I don't know, a decade under their belt before they go jump and do something like that. But I was pretty confident that I could build a platform for other CPAs to be very successful on people that were smarter than me. So, so I felt that if I could find the clients and basically pair them with the CPA, uh, that I could be successful. So I launched my firm. Uh, that was back in 2016. And today we have a team of 42 in the US. We have 20 additional folks offshore between the Philippines and India. And we service about 800 real estate clients across the United States. So it has uh, it's worked pretty well. I don't really do any client work anymore. So I have kind of realized the vision of hire a lot of really smart people and have them service the clients. And and I fully stand by the statement that my, the people that I hire are smarter than me. <laughs> um, but I'm very good at breaking down complex tax topics into ways that that like the layman can understand. And that attracts a lot of uh, uh, eyeballs from a media perspective, it attracts a lot of people um, to our firm. So I'm able to create a marketing and sales funnel um, and then hire really smart people to service the clients that come in from that. Awesome. That is such a, a unique and, and really inspiring story. Um, Thanks. So the uh, with that introduction in mind, so the other piece that uh, you know I alluded to a little bit earlier, some of our intangible balance sheet um, predates us, right? Uh, before we dive into kind of your life principles and even you know your family's life principles growing up, are there any stories that live on your balance sheet from your grandparents or great grandparents um, that you're aware of? Um, you know, my, my great grandparents or my, my grandparents were extremely poor, a uh, group extremely poor. 
Uh, and there are stories of them like working on a farm for, you know, pennies and stuff like that. Um, and, and those have been told throughout my life and, uh, my, my grandparents now are fine and they're, they're solid, but, uh, but growing up, they were very poor. And so it was always interesting hearing that perspective And my mom growing up was very poor as well. And so she worked really hard to, um, to provide a life for her kids that was not the life that that she grew up in. Uh, so mm-hmm. she went to Georgia Tech University and became an engineer, one of the few women at the time that that was going down that path. Uh, and my, met my dad at Georgia Tech, um, and my mom has been very adamant about having a career, uh, even with kids. So she's uh, very high level now at um, at uh, uh, in, in uh, one of the top five hundred companies, Corning. Inc. Mm, I think yeah. is what it is, but yeah. Um, so she's she's there and doing a lot of strategy work for them. Uh, so that that was always like an inspiring thing to watch for me was just the you know uh, the, the sacrifices that you witness being made, um, and and that's always stuck with me. So I'm very much willing to make sacrifices to create a better future. Uh, even if it's not necessarily my own better future, create a better future for my kids, their kids, and so on and so forth. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That That is really cool. So I, I got my MBA from Georgia Tech. Um, and I, I will tell cool. you to this day, there, there's not a, a ton of, uh, you know, if you, you just look, there's not a ton of female engineers, you know, e- even today, right? So I can only imagine what that, you know, what that number looked like, you know, when, when she was coming up through the ranks. So entrepreneurship yeah. takes on many forms, <laughs> right? Yeah. And part of it is just like, Hey, I'm here. Dad, I'm going to make it work. Um, but yeah. that's really neat on your, on your parents and grandparents side. Um, when you think about your community, I, I call them uh, barbershop stories. Are there, are there any, is there any barbershop ethic that you would look back on? And you're like, you know, my community actually, that, that that's a an ethos from the community I grew up in that I still um, I'm thankful for and, and influences me still to this day. Well, uh, I, I don't I don't really know. Um, when I was growing up, uh, you know, I, I had great friends. It was a lot of fun, but you know, we weren't really focused on like the future or what success looked like or anything like that. It was kind of just messing around in the woods and <laughs> blowing stuff up and stuff yeah. like that. So, so from that perspective, probably not, not anything interesting to share on this podcast, but I did have a, a school teacher, uh, in high school who it was AP calculus. Um, and she sat me down. I, I was the type of student in high school in college. I, I did a 180, but in high school, I was just the type of student that I was going to put in minimal effort to get B's. Um, so that that's like the decision that I made. I, 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 I learned that I could put in very little effort into school and still walk away with B's, and I was cool with that. My parents were not cool with that, <laughs> but I was cool with that. Um, and then in college, it was like, okay, we're going to get all A's and we're going to crush it, and, and that's what I did in college. So kind of flipped the coin there. But, um, but in high school... I had I had this AP calculus teacher who uh, maybe saw the potential in me, I guess, um, but did not communicate it effectively. <laughs> so, so she she sat me down and was just like, "You're never going to be successful." And it wasn't like if you don't do these things, you're never going to be successful. Like you need to like figure your life out type of thing. You're you're 17 years old and you need to work harder. 
No, it was just like, you're never going to be successful. <laughs> and that the was Chris the Farley conversation. gone wrong, right? You're going to be living in a van. Yeah, exactly. River, right? yeah. yeah. And, and so what she doesn't know uh, is that I've, I've carried that around uh, as a chip on my shoulder ever since. And uh, I reflect on it probably a couple times a year, uh, just thinking about that conversation. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily healthy mentally to have a chip on your shoulder all the time, but... I can tell you that in those early years of, you know, building this service business, you, you really have to grind to build a service business. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. It's very people heavy. Um, and in those early years of the grind, uh, I carried that like pretty much front and center with me. And I was like, I'll show her and uh, never talked to her since. So I didn't really show her anything, but <laughs> in my mind, it helped me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I remember it brings back to mind a, a story of a, a guy I graduated ranger school with. And it's a similar story. It's like, man, he goes, I just wish I could go back and so blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. time out. <laughs> like, but no, no I, I get it. Yeah. Now, as you fast forward and you think through your career um, and your development as you know, a person, as a professional, what would you say are the beliefs that are most important to you? Um, cause you're right. Like to get where you're at today, it probably isn't terribly, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't wrap up nicely in a bow and a, you know, a <laughs> Warner brothers movie in 60 minutes, right? Like it's, it's, it's hard work. And, and sometimes there's uncertainty about how things turn out. Mm-hmm. What are the beliefs and principles that get you through the day and, and, and through the, you know, the next six months, the next 10 years, so on and so forth. Yeah. I think I have three core beliefs. Um, the first one is just a principle of ownership. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. I might not necessarily do it right when I say I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get it done one way or the other. Um, I don't let things slip through the cracks and, and I just, I just take ownership over mistakes. I take ownership over failures. Um, and then I also take ownership over successes. Uh, and I think that's really important because when I, as I've scaled this business, we've hired people that don't believe in the concept of ownership. Um, you know, they'll pass it off. They'll pass off their work to somebody else. They just won't complete it. They won't set anybody else up down the line for success. Uh, they, if something's wrong, they, they won't take the fall for it. They'll blame literally everything else. And, um, for me personally, I just see that as a very weak, uh, approach to life. It's if you can't, if you don't have enough self-awareness to realize where you fit into the puzzle, um, I I just don't believe that you can see massive success. There's just, at some point you have to build that muscle and you have to be real with yourself and you have to understand your own limitations and you have to understand how to, uh, build around those limitations, either delegate those limitations or learn the skills necessary to, overcome those limitations and all of that starts with taking ownership over who you are your work what you what your promises are so that's a really it's a core tenant of my life um, and we embed that into my firm as well it's one of our core values at the firm um, another principle that I uh, live by is I don't think anything's perfect and uh, this really ruffles feathers in in business because you know, you, you work really hard on building a process 
It's a beautiful uh, mask. And, <laughs> right. And then somebody comes around and says, yeah, we can improve the process. And you're like, hey, you're calling my baby ugly, right? So <laughs> so we really try to uh, push the the belief that nothing is perfect. Um, good is not is not good enough. Good is not perfect. Good can be fine for now, but it can still be improved. Um, so I, I really believe in that continuous improvement. Um, and then I'm all, my, my last core belief is just never settle. Uh, I just I just believe that you know if you if you put in the if you put in the effort and um, you're willing to fail and make mistakes uh, over time, you'll have enough reps. It's it's like it's like building muscle, right? In the gym, yeah. over time, you'll have enough reps under your belt that you'll be strong. And uh, and and if you had settled in the past. Um, you wouldn't be as strong as you otherwise would have been. If I settle for 185 pound bench press, then I'm never going to hit 225, right? So that's kind of what I believe is that you know if you really set your sights on something and you you work at it, you can achieve it um, in most cases. But of course, you going back to number one ownership, you do have to have the self awareness to understand your own limitations. Like I can't go and raise a hundred million dollars for a software company right now because I've never done that before. So if that's my ultimate goal, how do I step through? Uh, what is the next step that I can take today to help me achieve that? It wasn't a software company, but there's a there's a Netflix series about about raising money for something you've never done before. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't they all go to jail? <laughs> it yeah. doesn't end well. But um, are, so I, I love those those three points and, and I, at risk of getting a little granular are there any stories in your mind that bring them to life um you know in in your own mind like that that are kind of the the hinge yeah. points that you're like hey this is these these are the things that i hang my hat on and here's why any, any experiences yeah. you're willing to share with regard to those <clears throat> yeah so so i'm a big uh people person i i recognize that in my service business the only way that I'm going to be successful is if I enable everybody around me to be ultra successful, right? Um, that is the leverage that you have as a business owner of a service business. Uh, so I invest a lot of time into my people and trying to upskill them and uh, round out their leadership skills, round out their personalities, and really help them be not only successful at their job today, but set themselves up for a successful career in the future, whether it's with my company or a different company. Um, but these belief systems that I've had have kind of, it, it's taken me years to kind of understand what I believe in, uh, because I've had to go through a lot of pain and that pain is generally, uh, people related pain. It's hiring somebody and putting them in a role and watching them succeed and then elevating to the next role and watching them fail. It's hiring somebody and watching them succeed in this one role that they have. And then when your business doubles in size, all of a sudden, this person that you thought was amazing is no longer effective. And now you have to make hard decisions. You have to have hard conversations. Uh, and so what what going through these these um, uh, th these these experiences, managing and leading people, it's just kind of helped me uh, kind of get more clear on what my belief system is and it allows me to now promote the right people at the right time because I've gone through all these repetitions. But I mean, I, I have promoted people to leadership positions simply because I liked talking to them. Um, and 
uh, that was you know years ago, and I've since learned those lessons. It becomes very expensive. It's a very expensive mistake to do that. Um, but you know, you promote people to positions where you know they didn't have they didn't demonstrate ownership to begin with. They didn't demonstrate the humility needed to recognize that whatever you create is not perfect. It can always be changed and improved and tweaked. Uh, and, and you promote those people to leadership positions anyway, because as a small business owner, you feel a little, a little, uh, um, uh, alone, uh, what's the word for that? Uh, lonely, you feel a little lonely at the top. So you start promoting people around you to create your little circle of, of leaders that you can have, uh, more confident conversations in, but, uh, but in a small business, if you haven't gone through the repetitions of, promoting bad people and watching what comes out on the other side of that or, or what the result of that is, then you don't have the skills uh, to make the right decision. And that's where I was. It was just, mm-hmm. I was promoting people that um, more so that I liked. I was promoting people mm-hmm. because I felt lonely at the top. And ultimately that crumbled uh, as, you know, these people that did that could not take ownership over their work that did not have humility um clearly demonstrated it and and started blowing up different pieces of the firm as a result so removing them was very challenging and hard uh, but you learn a lot in the process and you start writing them down like writing down your learnings I, I have a big journal here that i write down everything i can go back years and years and look at all my learnings and see how far i've come um and you try not to make the same mistake again and you will make the same mistake again, but you try not to. <laughs> so, uh, I, I love the note taking process. My, uh, you know, colleague of mine and I were talking about this the other day. I think that we're going to be able to put all of that into our own personal cloud one day, and Chat GPT will be able to, like, you know, we'll be able to ask it, or or the algorithm will pull forward our learnings, you know, because we forget yeah. these things over time. It's like, okay, have I ever encountered this before, and what did I write down? You know, the moment yeah. that it happened, right? Bring it, bring it back. Seriously, to me. man. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I I, I downloaded a, a thing. It's called Obsidian. It's supposed to be like a second brain or something, and I was trying to do digital note taking but for some reason the the pen and paper just calls to me so i keep i yep. always like i'll do like a three-month stint online like some cloud-based tool taking notes and then i always come back to the journal so i don't know i'm yep. just gonna stick with it this time <laughs> absolutely so brandon shifting gears just a little bit um the the last portion of the podcast that I typically deal with is uh what are some of the themes that when you think forward you know Lord willing, 50, 60, 70 years from now, that are going to be a, and will be elements of your eulogy. And where I get this idea from is a guy by the name of David Brooks. He's the, I believe he writes for the Wall, or for the uh, New York Times, actually. But he wrote an article, I think in 2015, where he said, you know, the trick to life for him was when, you know, that magical moment when it, his life shifted from building a, a resume to build, building a eulogy, right? And mm-hmm. what were the things, what were the, projects, efforts that he was going to put his, pour his time and his energy into um, that would help him build that. So as you think about kind of your ethical will and even your eulogy, maybe, what are some of the things that you hope are, are in there? Um, I would say three main things. The first is uh, family. So he was a great father, great husband, a great grandfather. Um that's important to me. The second is uh, probably charitable. 
Um, so what did I do with all the wealth that I was able to create? Uh, I would like for that to be a part of it. And, uh, and I'm still figuring that piece out, but, uh, but hopefully I will soon. And then the third piece is, is about leadership. Um, I want to be known the, the accounting space specifically is chock full of bad leaders. Um, accounting firms promote people to leadership positions based on their ability to produce. Uh, so like, like if you are really great at preparing and reviewing tax returns, you get promoted to the next level, but the next level might require you leading a team and you might not have any skills for that. It's kind of like a salesperson being promoted to sales manager. Like most salespeople don't actually make great sales managers. They make great salespeople. Um, then now, and now they have to go manage a team, right? So my goal is to be known as a great leader. Um, a humble leader, a kind leader, uh, one that's empathetic, uh, one that helps my um, employees around me succeed, uh, not only professionally, but just personally in life. Uh, so that's what I would like to, th- those three elements or, or three themes are what resonates with me. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for your time here in uh, this conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, Please know we we like everyone that you know comes on the podcast. We wish you and your family nothing but the best and truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. Um, and uh, hopefully, we'll have you back on in, in uh, the future for more more iterations to your intangible balance sheet. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Thank you again for joining us for this week's conversation. We trust that your time has left you both enriched and inspired to better invest your own intangible balance sheet. As always, we wish you and your family continued truth, beauty, and goodness on the road ahead. The opinions voiced in the Wisdom and Wealth podcast with Josh Clues are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principle. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Guests are not affiliated with Carson Wealth Management LLC. To determine what may be appropriate for you, please consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services are offered through CWM LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Our address locally is 1780 Hughes Landing Boulevard, Suite 570, The Woodlands, Texas 77380.